Feeling a bit under pressure? How to handle stress when flying single pilot. From the National Business Aviation Association, this is Flight Plan. I'm Rob Finfrock with your trusted source for business aviation news and information. Stress is probably one of the most familiar factors we deal with every day, and especially lately. And despite our best efforts, it's difficult to predict sometimes how our minds and bodies will respond to stress, be it from our everyday lives, or in particular when flying an aircraft. And while those detrimental effects can be significant even to multi-person flight crews, single pilot operators may face the greatest risks from stress of all. Typically, stress comes when you're surprised by something. And uh, trying to avoid those surprises is really the key to managing it. Charlie Precourt is a four-time space shuttle astronaut who now serves as chairman of the Citation Jet Pilots Association, Safety and Education Foundation, and the CJP Safety Committee. Most of his flying today is as a single pilot, but he continues to draw on lessons from his time with NASA and the U.S. Air Force to avoid stressful situations in flight. The vast majority of things that can happen to you in the air are things that can be trained for, prepared for ahead of time, Uh, whether it's bad weather, whether it's uh, an emergency procedure, whether it's an unexpected uh, diversion from air traffic control. All those things can be pre-thought through ahead of time and or trained in simulation uh, or with instructors in the actual airplane. And the more you've seen something in the past, the more you're ready to recognize quickly that I've dealt with this before, I know what to do, and my first response will be the right one. Thinking through just something as simple as you're doing an instrument approach and uh, something doesn't go quite right and you have to do a missed approach. If you hadn't pre-briefed the missed approach and suddenly you find yourself trying to figure out, okay, where do I go on this missed approach? That's going to raise your stress level immensely. But if you thought through and talked about in the pre-arrival briefing of an approach, what you would do in the event of a miss, then it doesn't come as as such a surprise. Also joining me today are Elliot Fisher and Todd Holtz. Both are pilots for Polymer Resources. Todd, can you recall a particularly stressful moment that occurred in your flying? There's been a couple of times, uh, you know, a couple of examples that have occurred with fuel planning, let's say. So, you know, on a typical flight, you, you plan the fuel, you plan well in advance so that you do have enough margin. But flying along, you know, things that are unforecasted pop up. And for instance, there's a time where pyreps started popping up with severe turbulence and, and weather that, again, was forecasted, but was trending a little worse. And so had I known that at the time of departure, I would have had a larger margin. But because of poor weather than planned, I didn't have that margin. And that just adds to the stress level. And, you know, the ball starts rolling from there. What about you, Elliot? Fuel planning is definitely one on on some of the longer flights that I take in the PC-12 when things either are unforecast, like Todd was saying, the wind is twice what it's supposed to be, or reroutes that, you know, you don't normally get. We have a pretty defined route that we'll take um, when they bow us inland for whatever reason. Sometimes it's a space launch or something like that. All of a sudden you're adding kind of 100 miles or more to the trip heading into into the headwinds that you weren't expecting to have to to fight and and that sort of thing so that then fortunately here you know you're you're flying on the coast you're like all right i I know that i have plenty of options you know i can always just more more so to the owner in the back than than to the the traffic controllers it'd be like look like things aren't going you know some unforeseen weather wind a diversion because of atc we just there's no point in pushing it let's just stop get some fuel stretch your legs We'll be back up in 30 minutes, that kind of thing. I, I will say I've never had to do that, but the contingency plan has, has happened many times 
uh, due to unforeseen uh, weather and ATC delays. And then another one that I know, you start the plane and uh, you realize you forgot something, either set of chocks or something like that. If you're at an airport all by yourself and you were distracted, you know, the owner showed up quicker, we were loading bags, all of a sudden you hop in, he's ready to go. And then you start the plane and realize you got a chalk stuck. So now you have to stop, again, swallow your pride. It's not really that big a deal. Then you need to just really calm yourself down after that. And and when situations similar to that arise with me, I have to s- just pause for a second and say, all right, slow down. This was a mistake, not a catastrophe. This doesn't mean that everything else I'm going to, you know, I should start second guessing everything else that I do on the rest of this flight. I made a mistake. There's an isolated, independent event. Yes, your heart rate's going to go up for a little bit. Everything's going to seem a little faster. So just purposely slow everything down from there. It's important to take that deep breath to reassess the situation. Correct. You know, it's rushing never helps, right? Even, I mean, there are times when you need to act a little quicker, but truly rushing is never, never, never your friend. Something that we we say when, so I'm a, a ski patrol instructor up here in Connecticut. And one thing we always tell our students when they're, you know, rushing against the clock, trying to put a splint on or something else is that, you know, smooth is fast and smooth is slow. If you want to go fast and you try to go fast, it's not going to work. And you're just going to start making mistake after mistake after mistake. So you want to go fast, you got to go smooth. You want to go smooth, you got to go slow. So you need to step back, take that breath, get the big picture, slow everything down and be very deliberate in your in your actions. And that translates to the cockpit as well. Todd? Yeah, I'd like to kind of echo what Elliot said there, because there were, there were always two things that, you know, I've been told throughout my career. One was from an instructor uh, at the airlines and, and the other I just heard along the way. And, and the first one was to just wind your watch three times. In other words, you know, when something unexpected happens or the stress levels increase, look down at your watch. If it's not there, still look down at your wrist and just pretend to wind it three times. You know, and what that does is just enables you to take a pause, slow down, try to extract yourself from, you know, whatever tunnel vision you may be in or whatever situation maybe, you know, gaining all of your attention and um, to help, you know, kind of clear your thoughts. And then the other one is very similar to what Elliot said. He's always told, you know, to go fast, go slow. And that way you take, you know, deliberate actions and, and you're not spring loaded. And, and, you know, those things will elevate your risk levels. More of our conversation in just a moment. But first, a message from NBAA. NBAA Flight Plan listeners, are you getting recognized for your leadership? NBAA now offers certificates and other credentials in safety, sustainability, and more. Visit nbaa.org to apply today. We're back now with Todd Holtz, Elliot Fisher, and Charlie Precourt, and our discussion about how to mitigate the effects from stress when flying single pilot. Charlie, how do you apply the tips and techniques you learned from your time in the Air Force and with NASA when planning a single pilot flight? Well, there are a number of things, depending on the airplane, of course, but performance planning for runways. In the case of business aircraft, one of the more significant issues is runway excursions and a lot of good preparation around your takeoff performance expectations and making sure that you have adequately prepared for engine out for multi-engine airplane, uh, that you know what your procedure is should you lose an engine early on in departure. Making sure you have good weather planning and, and weather alternates. All these things are contingencies to the primary plan, which is take off, climb to altitude, cruise, let down, and land at your primary destination. 
in a typical day, a flight like that is is almost a non-event. But what you want to do in your pre-flight planning is think through all the things that wouldn't go right and what your alternative is for each phase, whether it's takeoff, climb cruise, letdown, and, and arrival. And make sure you've got an alternative uh, way out in each of those phases of flight. Todd, that sounds like very good advice. Absolutely. So, you know, when I fly single pilot, I, I try to have at least three plans. You know, I have plan A, that is obviously the, the first choice. And that's, that's completing the mission according to the parameters that, that are at play. You know, the second plan is a, a bit of a derivation of, of plan A. And plan C is to fail, you have a third. But all of the plans have outs and all of the plans are fully workable. You know, meaning that, you know, when I leave the ground, if I need to, you know, all of a sudden jump to plan C, there are no questions as to whether passengers will have rides at the airport. Will there be airline service? You know, so I really map out each of the three plans. That way, plan A doesn't work. Jump right to plan B. It's all set. FBOs are, are notified. Plan C, same, same thing. So again, really just kind of mitigating all, all of your risk and having it as planned as possible because the un- unforeseen will happen. There's, there's absolutely no question that will elevate your stress. But if you're prepared as much as you can in advance, then, you know, it'll lead to a positive outcome. Elliot, one of the resources we've seen adopted throughout the industry is a flight risk assessment tool, or FRAT. I'd imagine anything that helps us determine risk when planning a flight can also help to mitigate stressful situations. Do you use a FRAT with your flying? We have one for the charter company that I do roll through the back of my head because it does have some good points to it that like nighttime flying can be almost as bad as low visibility in, in their numerical scale. And you don't always think about that. Oh, I'm empty. I'm flying by myself. So exposure to those in sort of the dual cruel professional world has made me slow down, think a little bit more about the legs that you might think of are the easier ones. Like, oh, there's no passengers. It's just nice and easy. But I also have several people who are way more experienced than I am. And pre-planning, like Todd said, you want to get as much done, obviously, before you go wheels up as you can, have your contingency plan in place. And if there's situations or I'm going to a place that I'm not familiar with, or, you know, I just want a second opinion, I do have several more experienced pilots or mentors that have no problem. I'll, I'll call them and say, hey, you know, here's what I'm doing. Here's what I got. What do you think? How can using a checklist help to mitigate stress, Elliot, when flying single pilot? So depending on the phase of the flight and the aircraft that I'm in, some planes lend themselves to a flow pretty well. Again, based on you know the, my, my experience in the dual crew world, the challenge and response method for a lot of things is still how I do it in the aircraft when I'm by myself, even if it might look a little silly. The more stressful the situation might be, the more I force myself to slow down, do everything, even if I do it as a flow, back it up with a checklist, and even to do it out loud as a challenge response to myself, which can be a little weird when the owner's sitting next to me, but he's kind of gotten used to it, that I do, you know, gear down, say it out loud, you know, clear to land, tax laid on, make sure I touch everything for real, don't just look at it, and actually say everything out loud. So that's that's what I do, because I you will make mistakes, especially I fly several different airframes, and a lot of them are close enough, but just different enough to be, you know, a little dangerous. You, 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 one, one thing's not necessarily the same spot. So slow down, do your flow, do the checklist for real, like, like there was somebody else there with you. Todd, how do you use checklists in your flying? In a very similar way, I kind of pick pieces from, from each of the methods, whether it's a challenge and response or a flow. Um, 
Usually I will kind of do a, a flow method and then back it up with a checklist. But at times, and again, it depends on the phase of flight and also what's what's going on. You know, so if, if it's time critical, then it may be a little more of a, a flow operation backed up by the checklist. And if there's a little more time, again, just the way that I do it, I, I do more of a challenge and response. But, you know, same as Elliot, I think it's important to verbally acknowledge, you know, all of the items out loud. I think out loud is, is very important. It allows you to hear the steps. It allows you to keep a system of operation going. And uh, again, it, it may look silly, as Elliot alluded to, but uh, I, I think it's very, very important for the single pilot. It also sets a standard for a passenger that may be sitting in the right seat that, you know, this is the time where, you know, I need you to stay sterile in terms of communication. You know, it's, it's checklist. We don't want to interrupt it. So it kind of delineates between different phases of flight and when it may be appropriate to have a conversation and when it's not. Charlie, do you use checklists to mark off action items similar to the challenge and response procedure seen with multi-person flight crews, or is verification for your own learned processes and flows? Well, I fly mostly single pilot, and in that event, uh, flows with a backup uh, verification from the checklist is really the way to go. There are a number of things that can be used for, if you're in a crew, a challenge and response can work fine. And what I have learned over the years is that mostly running a flow and then backing up with a re-verification on the checklist is the, the most common and, and best approach. Obviously, in critical phases of flight, memory items are important and you run the memory items and get things stable again, maintain aircraft control, analyze the situation, take proper action. Once you've done those initial steps and referring to the checklist and making sure your next steps are appropriate, is a good way to use the checklist. Then if you're in a crew, of course, in certain phases of flight, a challenge and response can be very appropriate. But most often it's a run the flow, then come back, run through the checklist and verify that it's done. Todd, what other tips on managing stress would you like to share with other single pilot operators? Well, as you mentioned, I think the FRATs are, are a great resource. Um, you know, Not always practical, not always applicable, but there always will be a few of the boxes that will just kind of cause you to pause and to think about the scenarios. I know NBAA has some some great resources as well. You know, really from my experience, it's it's and I've I've said this before. You know, you are an island when you are when you're a single pilot, but you don't have to be. Um, you can expand your team. You still have a lot of resources that you know crews have available to them. Um, you know, as a single pilot, whether it's ATC or passengers, there's you just you need to expand expand your team, and that ultimately will help reduce the stress levels. What additional advice do you have, Elliot? Especially when it's stressful, like we said, slow down, follow your checklist, trust that you know what you're doing. And then when you make your plan, stick to it. You know, there's a lot of times when, oh, well, the weather's, let's call it the weather. We're going to divert because the weather's not great. Let's stick with that diversion. All right, maybe we'll check the weather later on and the passengers aren't going to be happy. And oh, no, it's getting better. No, we, we made our decision. We're sticking to it. If we start waffling between decisions that we made, things are going to get worse and we're going to be back to square one and starting this all over again. So even if parameters change, you do need to reevaluate. Kind of like when you sell a student, like if in the back of your head, you go, maybe I should go around. That means you should go around. If you think maybe I should divert, that's that answers the question. You divert, you stick with it. It was the right choice. People might be inconvenienced, but that's never, that's never enough of a reason to keep pushing. Even if the weather gets better down the road and you could have gotten them there and, and you land and you go, wow, we didn't have to do this. One time you will have to. And if you don't follow that little thought in the back of your head, then there's going to be trouble. So when you make your plan, make your best decision, trust you know what you're doing and then stick with that plan. 
I think Elliot kind of hit the nail on the head there. You know, you want to be confident, but you don't want to be overconfident. You know, and you want to take that decisive action. If, if the little hairs are standing up on the back of your neck, then something isn't right. And I think what Elliot said is is important. You know, if if you're thinking about it, then that probably is is the right decision. And once you decide, you know, you, you go all the way. And I think that's that's important because once you start waffling, that's that's where confusion sets in. That's where the stress levels increase. You know, if you fly standardized, I think that's really important as a single pilot. Another thing too is to have a, a you know an operations manual. It, it sounds a bit silly if you're a crew of one or an airplane of one, but you know again it just drafts out the procedures, and that way you have a, a system to follow. And I think those are vital for a single pilot. Charlie, what additional resources or advice to help single pilots to manage stress would you like to share? I think one of the, the key things, most aircraft types will have a type club and there are a tremendous amount of resources in the community of that particular type aircraft. And then uh, another source, the NBAA website has a lot of great resources for all the unique things that you might have to confront in your aircraft. And speaking of those resources, be sure to check out an upcoming online exclusive from NBAA's Business Aviation Insider member publication, in which Charlie, Todd, and Elliot offer additional thoughts on how to mitigate stress in the single pilot environment. Look for that article soon at nbaa.org insider. And for the latest information on this and other topics affecting single pilot operations, visit nbaa.org slash single pilot. And that's the latest from the National Business Aviation Association. Remember, you can subscribe to all Flight Plan episodes at Apple Podcasts and the App Store, wherever you find your favorite podcasts, including by asking your virtual assistant or connected device, or download them from nbaa.org. I'm Rob Finfrock. Thanks for listening, and join us next time for a new episode of Flight Plan. Flight Plan.